All right, welcome back to Family Gathering. I uh, appreciate you returning over to us. This is Joe. Jonathan. And this is Derek. All here to talk about uh, magic and how it plays with our family. So today, one of the things we want to talk about is Joe and Jonathan especially have been working on building up their popper deck collection. They're currently sitting at eight, almost nine decks. So we're going to talk a little bit about what those are, which ones are their favorites, and some cards that they feel are overpowered in the popper format currently. Yes. yes. Yep. And so we, we started with popper and we moved from the pre-con decks that Magic provides over to these. Um, well, we went to popper for a few reasons. Number one, it's cheaper. And you know we wanted to make sure before we spend a lot of money in the game that it's something that we want to be committed to. Uh, but the other reason is because the popper decks are usually all of the same general power level. There's not any one card that just completely crushes you. It's usually some synergy of different cards um, that really play off each other. And you can probably pick most of these decks up and play it against the other and you know you at least have a fair shot at it. Um, now as we discuss later on, there's going to be some of these that maybe are a little stronger than others. Um, but overall, we didn't yeah. feel that you know there's any one popper deck that just kicks everyone's butt. Yeah, so all of them kick some, but once some in a while, but, yeah. once in a while, I should say. So, we've got eight decks sitting close to us because we're recording together today. Jo Joe, could you tell us about half of them, what they are? Sure. So the first deck that we started off with was a sliver deck. Um, and that's what we really wanted to introduce Jonathan to the idea of there being tribal decks. Or the idea of there's creature types and those creatures work together when you play them together. Yeah. And like so, what slivers do is when you play one sliver out, all the rest of the slivers on the battlefield get that ability. Mm -hmm. So like there's some slivers that give their attack and defense plus one plus one. There is one that gives that makes it deal poison counters. Mm -hmm. There and are a lot slivers. of sliver abilities and they all, mm -hmm. there's all work different, off of each other. There's all different colors of slivers. What colors do you have in there? Mm -hmm. I think I have some green, red, no blue, and white. Yeah, so uh, that one's red, green, white slivers. Most of those are, um, they're of smaller mana costs, mm -hmm. usually two or three, some two one drops. Um, but it was all about just getting creatures on the battlefield. So yeah. that was the first one we built, and we realized that deck is so much stronger than any of our pre-con yeah. decks. You kept kicking my butt. And so that's when I had to respond with something. And that's what uh, the next move was over to Boros Metalcraft. And so it brought out the idea. Um, that, that deck was about teaching Jonathan the idea of artifacts, right? That was yes. the first time we really saw what an artifact was. And that was in the form of artifacts that just sit on the battlefield, as well as actual artifact creatures, like my Ginger favorite. Jerk. Ginger Jerk, or Ginger Brute, to those that are actually trying to search the card. Um, with the idea of the uh, artifacts all kind of working together, and that deck introduces the concept of metal crafts. So yes. when we talk about that but ability is something new. If a creature is 1-1, one, one, and then it says there is, if there is this amount of uh, tokens, artifacts, out on the battlefield, then that will get like plus 2, plus 2, or plus 3, plus 3, mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So it's one of those that as the deck uh, works together to get uh, artifacts out, those creatures get bigger, and ultimately that deck wins because you play a creature that starts out small and then the artifacts make it bigger. 
And so um, that was uh, one of the decks we kind of brought on to counter slivers. The other one was our, our reanimator deck, uh, which is a black-red deck. Which the idea is you go through the deck and try to get your big creatures, namely um, John, one of Jonathan's favorite cards, which is... Um, Ulamog's Crusher. Ulamog's Crusher, which normally costs eight. But get it into the graveyard using some red cards that allow you to draw and discard. And then using Exhum to bring it onto the battlefield instead of actually casting it. And so that deck was, uh, was is one of those that, what do we usually say with that deck? It either... Uh, you either win hard or you lose hard. <laughs> yeah. That is very true with that deck. Yeah. So it, that one kind of introduced the idea of kind of almost, almost a combo deck. Um, but it, it gave a chance to show how big creatures can go on the battlefield without being cast, and there's other ways around it, too. Um, then, because he got all these overpowered decks that I needed to, I needed to get another, so I got a Dilver deck, and... What, what is the Dilver deck? What color is that? It is red and blue. Mm-hmm. What it does mostly is allows you to draw cards, and then what you do is you take those cards and deal... The opponent damage and get out creatures and mostly what you do is you play spells and when you play the spells there's creatures that say whenever you play a spell it will deal your opponent one damage yep. or it taps you can tap it and then you play one and untap and then keep doing that until you run out of mana yeah so or cards or cards, or cards. yeah or cards. so with the with the delver deck that brought along the idea of triggered abilities and so um, that's where, you know, when we're casting something or doing something, something else um, has some sort of effect that you have to pay attention to. And so that added an extra element. I know that deck was a little hard for you to start out with, but yeah. really soon it became familiar as you play it more. Um, being, you knew that when you cast a spell, you needed to tap one guy first before you cast it, then cast the spell so you could untap it. And so through the, the Delver deck is where we learned, um, again, the, those triggered abilities. Mm-hmm. So we brought that one on, and then we had kind of that core four set. Yeah. And as we started to enjoy it more, um, you know, I wanted to look at what are some of the other abilities that we can bring on or um, that we can learn from. So that, think. so that he didn't get a ton of debts at one time and then make it hard for me to remember what each ability does. Yeah. Because at first when I started, I'm like, what does this do? What does this do? What does this mean? Mm-hmm. And all that. I think those four decks are a good showing of different types of card styles, um, synergies, and triggered abilities, artifacts, spells. So it does work really well as a a good solid four intro decks almost. Yeah. But they are very different decks, and they have just totally different play styles and, again, introducing those different mechanics. Um, and then after that, our, our friend Matthew uh, brought up a, a black deck, which that one was actually uh, that was a little bit of a game changer because that one was all about killing creatures. Yeah. And so a lot of the decks that we mentioned there are all about getting the creatures out and actually attacking and you know being the person that has the most creatures and the biggest creatures. And so Matthew's deck brought out the idea of let's kill all those creatures and then use our friend Gary. Gary. You like Gary, right? Yeah, Gary. Gary to eventually drain their life away. Or Grey Merchant of Asphodel. Yep. I tried to say that yesterday in a practice recording. I couldn't say it. So good job. Nailed it. So we brought brought along uh, the Gary deck and um, from there started killing creatures, but also brought up the idea of let's think about ways that we could win 
without actually just attacking with creatures. And so like crypt rats, you pay you pay one black as many black mana as you want, and then you tap him, and then all creatures on the battlefield, even um you, get that take that much damage. So it mostly just wipes out the entire battlefield. So then your opponent has no cards out, and then you can play some. Yep, and that's where Jonathan mentioned the best card ever printed in Magic, which is crypt rats. Um, though, as you'll find through the podcast, I'm a little bit biased. I am a black player, but at heart, and Crypt Rats uh, was one of the oldest cards that I played with and that I've loved. And so seeing that carry forward and pop where has been awesome, and it works well in, in decks that are all about killing creatures. Yeah. So, uh, but bringing up the idea of winning without beating each other's faces in with creatures is where we kind of wanted to explore next with Popper. And with that, I think, was it Super Walls that we did next? Yeah, I think. Yeah, we brought up uh, Super Walls, which uh, essentially is a deck all about putting out defenders, casting yeah. a bunch of fogs to prevent combat damage, ultimately to get to an infinite combo, or an infinite mana combo, and channel that into direct damage to the so opponent. So then you can cast, you can create infinite mana, then you can play out one card that says... Um, tap about eight mana or so. It uses eight mana. I think Vidalkin and Voker. I'm probably yeah, saying Vidalkin that wrong. Yeah, Vidalkin and Voker. That's correct. Yep. And, yeah, so eight mana to do three damage, which is it's not really a great exchange, but when you have infinite mana, it's a good way to funnel that through. So. And then just keep dealing the constant damage. So that's where uh, that kind of really introduced the idea of combo, and combo for, or infinite mana combo for that matter. And you, did you like that deck first? That was like one of your favorite decks to play. Because you had infinite mana. <gasps> infinite. Yeah. So uh, having that yeah. infinite combo deck uh, was one way you can, you know, we can win without necessarily attacking. In fact, there was no attacking in that deck and whatsoever. Then the, yeah, the next most of the one creatures that we came in there with? have defenders, so they can't even attack. Yeah, exactly. They just sit there and they block you. I mean, they're literal walls. And then, um, you know, they eventually are going to make that infinite mana to get to the win. So we brought that deck on. We also brought on um, um, this d- armadillo cloak deck, which, which is, is my favorite. What color is that? It is white green. White and green, and it's an aura deck. And yeah. so it, it also brought in the idea of enchantments, which was yes. one thing that we didn't really have enchantments um too much other than uh, the also abilities like catch proof which hex-proof. means that it can't be um a target to a spell or ability for so your opponent. opponent yeah yeah your yeah. opponent there used to be an ability called shroud that was similar that it couldn't be the target of spells or abilities from anyone mm-hmm. and then they came out with hex proof which is just a significant improvement yeah, so and as they introduce new abilities, mm-hmm. they keep improving on them, which is one of the great things. But with that deck, having hexproof creatures and then introducing auras and enchantments is where you can make... I mean, how big did you get your creature ones? Um, I think I got it past 11. 11 power or toughness? Toughness and power. And power, probably. Yeah. And usually, think, that deck usually pumps both. Yeah. So that um, was a good addition, and then I brought the idea of um, getting the auras and introducing the enchantment. Yeah. So at that point, we've, we've nearly hit all um, card types, um, but we found, what about that deck? I mean, do we think that's a, a, a strong deck or a weak deck? What do you think about Strong. Yeah, we found that one's where I'd say it probably tested the limits of, of Popper. 
um, and that it's just one that's a little difficult to deal with. But we'll talk a little bit more about that so later. So then we got one where you play cards out, and some of the cards in it allows you to mill. So it's a milling deck where mm-hmm. you take cards and you put them into your graveyard, and you try to get your opponent to put to get all of your opponent's cards into their graveyard without them killing you before. Yep, so that's where, when we're looking at alternative wins, yeah. um, one of them was getting your opponent to run out of cards and milling them to death. So then we upgraded mm-hmm. that a little. So we started then, out and we realized that deck was bad. Because you could get close to winning, but then your opponent would just kill you. So mm-hmm. we, we added in some other creatures and spells. Mm-hmm. So that brought up the idea that, you know, just because we make a deck once doesn't mean it's always going to be great. You know, we, we played it through a few times and realized it was drastically underpowered compared to the rest of yeah. them. And so through some revisions, adding a bunch of the um, cards they brought through with Kaldheim, it, you know, really upped its game and probably bought it on par with the rest of the decks. And so Because I've won with it before. You have won with that. Actually, so, embarrassingly lost to Mill. So we just played that against each other before recording today and the card that really pulled you in on that to upgrade it was what that was the uh well there's laid to rest or something of that winter's, nature. Rest. winter's rest thank you bud yeah winter's rest really affected me today while playing you know because that brought up the idea of a little more board control and kind of stopping the creatures that are coming along um the one that really inter- interested me from the deck here was iceberg cankrix and uh, which is against a uh, one or blue for zero four whenever another snow permanent enters the battlefield under control you may have target player put the top two cards or library into the graveyard and so it kind of caused the deck to be redesigned to have a little more of a snow focus um but also um you know gave another blocker and made the deck a little less vulnerable to those creatures that were attacking because if you've been keeping track of the ones that we mentioned here there's a lot of creature activity that needs to be mitigated in order for this deck to have, you know, fight. Now, zero four is very good at blocking creatures. Not attacking. And you'll you'll notice as uh, Derek was playing red deck wins, a lot of things were dealing three damage at a time. And so having something that can absorb four is what really helps that one, you know, stay on the battlefield. Yeah, I was sitting at home before we got together today and thinking about the... I thought they had a few more decks, but I was thinking about the decks they had and realized that they don't really have a true red deck wins, direct damage type deck. So I put that together real quick. Um, and the snow deck definitely had some problems, both with the 04 blocker and with some of the control stuff that he put in, being able to top down my creatures that I was trying to make bigger. So those are a rundown of our current decks. Oh, well, sorry, one more. Yeah, so the most recent one that we brought, actually we got two more. Um, one of them is our, our black green, and really that's an aristocrats deck. So the uh, last deck that we have is our black green aristocrats deck. So our, our last deck that we have is our black green aristocrats deck, in which that one is also a little it is combo based. It's got that built in to where um, you can have essentially infinite uh, creatures moving in and out of the battlefield, and so the idea with that deck is to bring you on bring out a creature and then that creature when it you can sacrifice it to your graveyard with a card and then you bring it back into the battlefield with a minus one minus one counter and once it goes into the graveyard it does not come back if it has a minus one minus one counter on it so then you have this healing card which will heal that 
And then all that that does is just burn into your graveyard back and forth, but that doesn't do anything. So that's when this other card comes into play, where it says whenever a creature um, enters the battlefield or goes into your graveyard, it... Um, your opponent loses a life, so you can do that instantly and mostly just insta-kill your opponent. Yep. Yeah, you do life. that 20 uh-huh. times or so based uh-huh. on their life and they're dead. So yes. also... Um, but with that black-green deck, the, uh, I brought that one on board specifically because it brought it, it looks at the value of sacrificing a creature. Yeah. So a lot of the uh, decks that we're mentioning, you know, each of those creatures really have um, some value behind them, and so when you lose them... Um, you know, yeah. you're losing something in the battlefield. So that mostly taught me that you can sacrifice creatures sometimes because that's what they're meant for. Yeah, so it doesn't always, not always about having the most on it. It's effectively using them uh-huh. and not being afraid to lose a creature to go towards an ultimate win later on. And so that's where that deck pro- pro- provides some value behind that. So that's the decks that we have. And all those uh-huh. are pre-made decks that we found online. So, uh, yes, we cheated, but um, and we could probably give some credit to those folks if we find out that these decks are um, you know, tournament winners, but these are the proven um, decks that are in the metagame right now for Popper. But kind of when we also move to the next step for, for Jonathan, who's never really built yeah. a deck himself. I built one, and so what mine does is mostly I made a Merfolk deck where I take Merfolk and they affect other Merfolks. Like, um, there's one of them that has this, this Ink Dissolver, which has Kinship, and that means whenever I draw a card, if it shares, if it's a Merfolk, um, the opponent mills two cards, so that's kind of like the milling deck. But mm-hmm. there's also Merfolk Looter, that's a good card where you tap it, and you draw a card, and then you discard one. So if you had a card in your hand that you're like, I can never play this. You tap Merfolk Looter, draw a card, and then you discard that card that you said you couldn't. Okay. So, so how, yeah. yeah. How'd you put that deck together? Um, so Derek brought over um, some bins of cards because you need to help store in them. And so mostly I was like, why not I make a deck? So I asked Joe if I could, and he said, sure. Because that's why Derek wanted us to bring them, to make some decks. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, why not? I start with a Kithkin, and then I was like, and then I was finding a ton of Merfolk, and I'm like, I don't want to do Kithkin, I want to do Merfolk. So that's when I found that. And I also used two of my cards that I have to put in there, and I put that in. So mostly that's what my Merfolk deck does. And also, I have been starting to work on making another zombie deck. Mm -hmm. Play the better color, which is black, instead of those blue cards. Yeah. So, and then I'll quickly touch on, I know that they have another deck that they've ordered all the cards for that hasn't arrived yet, but I've been playing the standard version, which is like a storm cycling deck. Um, I assume you went blue, white, red? Or no, um, it's green. No, it is green, red. And so yes. with, with that version of cycling storm, and again, I... As you look up the different deck styles and the different formats, they're, they kind of have different flavors to them, but same general concept. This one's more about green-red and um, you know, generating a lot of mana so that you can play, you know, cycle through a bunch of cards, but also play a bunch of cards and ultimately end with a, um, what is it, Reap the Graves? Uh, that sounds right. And uh, where they can uh, bring all those cards back in your hand and you can cycle them again. 
but the whole point uh, of the cycle is you're, you have a few creatures that you can play um, that are going to trigger off of that, which are the Dranith cards, which I think are the healer and... There's a healer and a... I can't think of the damage one, but one gains you a life and then one will deal damage. Yeah, so the point is just to keep the cycling going so that with cycling you always have a card in your hand and you're you know, discarding one to draw one and each one of those is dealing one damage. And so the rest of the deck is about enhancing that and um, adding cards you know, to your hand and just adding more and more spells um, on there to generate mana, so Dark Ritual, Cabal Ritual, Metamorphose, um, you know, just putting spells on the stack so that you can eventually get them all back with Reap the Graves and just keep doing that over and over again. So that's where there's a lot of card synergy in between you know, playing those, um, but ultimately it's a lot of fun because there's, I mean, you're drawing them and you're playing a lot of cards. I mean, you're just touching a lot of cards. It's not you play one card a turn. It's a lot more to it. So that one will be good, um, and we'll see how that meshes with everything else here. I'm sure in a future podcast I'll be you know swearing against it, um, but you know we'll see how that ends up. <laughs> so that's a rundown of our decks. Um, real quick, Jonathan, which one is your favorite one right now? Um, Armadillo Cloak. Your green-white auras? Yeah. Why do you enjoy that one? I enjoy it because mostly you put out creatures that can't be targeted by spells or they have to be blocked by creatures with flying only. Mm-hmm. And then once you have that, you can keep playing more and more auras on them to make them stronger and stronger. Because that is helpful because you want to play on the headsproof one mostly because when you play the on him, um, if you wanted, you wouldn't be afraid for your opponent if it has like lightning bolt. If it was only like a one one, they couldn't just lightning bolt your creature and kill it because it can't be targeted. Mm-hmm. So then, once you get all these spells up, you can attack. They can still block, but the chances are that they might block is low because your creature's big and they might have only creatures that they want on they want out to keep out Mm -hmm. so they're like i don't want to lose this creature but if there was another creature that they didn't want just to block they could do that and just kill it so then yeah that's where another card in the uh so i will say that the thing i see in the green white auras when i've played it is that it gets really big and it has trample. So even if they can block it, you still are Do dealing them damage. damage. Yes. Yeah. And that's where I think that that deck's the strongest of the bunch just because there's not a lot of ways to deal with that in the popper format. And so, you know, you're absolutely right having the hex proof on a slippery boggle. He starts out as a one one, but he turns into a mean beast real quickly with all those auras. Yeah. So I'm not sure how familiar you are or if Joe has commented on that type of play, but those decks are generally referred to as a Voltron deck. So, and then Joe, what's your current favorite deck that you have? My my favorite deck to play right now is Boros Metalcraft, and it's um, not because it's the strongest deck and not because it wins me the most games, but because it really uses the cards effectively. Um, you know, as you get into the deck list, you'll see there's a lot of uh, bouncing cards. So you'll play a card and then return a card yeah. to your hand and then play it again. And so you're really getting the most mileage out of every card that you it's play. It's like a life cycle. Yeah. I mean, they just they, they, they do the job, they come back to your hand, then you play them again. It's like one meets up with another, mm-hmm. and then they have another one. 
and then those two die, and then there's that one left. Yeah. And then two more come in. Yeah, so it's just it's a, it's a constant playing of cards and generating artifacts, and, you know, while three artifacts can sound like a lot in most decks, it's really easy to get in that one. So you're playing a lot of mana-efficient cards, so you usually that, you know, as Jonathan mentioned, you have your one drop that normally is a 1-1, one, one, but you're playing on the battlefield as a 3-3 three, three for one mana. It's pretty pretty good, uh, like, pretty good value there. There yeah. was a Merfolk Secret Keeper. Tap one, play it in your corner, then it will deal your, your opponent mills four cards, mm-hmm. and then you can tap one more to play it in for a zero four. Yeah, so the, those adventure cards are kind of what also helps flesh out the uh, mill deck that we have too. But mm-hmm. that's why I like Boros Metalcraft though, is because you have a lot of value in each of the cards that you play, and you're constantly doing something. That deck does seem to have a lot of, like, Thraven Inspector, you get a creature and an artifact. Thraven Inspector. Yep. Uh, you have cards that, when they come in, you draw a card, so you're not really losing hand size off of it. Mm-hmm. And then my deck right now that I'm enjoying the most playing is just the Red Deck Wins deck I built today, um, simply because it it goes over everything. I'll just lava spike, lightning bolt, chain lightning straight to that person and not really worry about what's on the board. So I think that actually what we'll do is we're at a good spot, I think, to actually just incorporate some of our plans for the next episode. So I think we will wrap up and say goodbye. Goodbye. Yep, well, I'm all tapped out. So we'll see you next time.